Good evening and welcome to episode 22 of Talking Trash. I'm James Langfield. I'm Claire Abraham. And as last as always, I'm Bohan. And tonight it's just our standard usual. We just talk about stuff that's going on in the wrestling world and see where it takes us. Um, first things first, I think we need to kind of touch on base, given the fact uh, it was big news on Raw that uh, Roman Reigns is in remission. So, you know, it's good good news for Roman Reigns. Maybe not so good, so so much good news in terms of the fact that we're going to see him back on our screens wrestling. And I would have preferred he, you know, took some time off and got a hundred percent healthy and didn't wrestle at all and just concentrated on being a good human being rather than a terrible wrestler. Yeah, I heard. Well, I've seen kind of rumor stuff that Vince is like desperate to have him back for Mania. I- kind of is what it is like there's no polite way to be mean about someone who's just got over cancer so i should probably just keep my whole shot but i mean i none of this changes the fact i've never been the biggest fan of his work it's good that he's healthy though i mean like it's it's always nice to see someone return from something like that i remember when brian boyle come back to the new jersey devils last season in the nhl and how big a deal it was to see him because he had a chronic leukemia as well and came back like he was when he was in remission he was pretty quickly back to playing as well so i don't think there's necessarily going to be a big layoff for roman here no hopefully not hopefully he can go back to he can get to 100 percent, and you know we're probably going to end up seeing him at wrestlemania in a match at some point does it mean he's going to go up against you know dean ambrose returning on the shield you never know dean ambrose's contract's coming up um, do you think, you know, WWD did announce it that he's not renewing his contract? Do you think there's going to be some sort of 11th hour intervention when he gets ready renews with WWE? Or do you think he's done and we're going to probably see him on the indies as John Moxley again? I think that's what he wants to do. And I don't think it's going to change his mind. He's had how many years at WWE now? And he, I think he's maybe starting to see all the other guys kind of go on and have success, kind of being more in control of their own creative character and stuff like that and I think he wants to go back to that and quite honestly it wouldn't surprise me if he wanted to go back to more kind of hardcore matches and stuff like that and he ain't going to get that at WWE so I think that he's going I don't think there's going to be a last minute change of plans or anything See it's funny you talk about that because I've been thinking that we're going to see him back at CZW for the tournament of death this year because it's still early enough that he could and I think based on how a lot of the guys so it's it's probably safe to speculate that most people are gonna that he's gonna end up at AEW, right? That's that's what everybody's thinking. It's the elephant in the room. I think he will, but I think based on the fact that AEW are still allowing Joey Janela to do his spring break show and stuff like that, like they're they're allowing the same talents uh, talents to go and work at other things. I think just being an AEW wouldn't necessarily put him out with the ability to go back to CZW and do a couple of shows and make the fans happy. And I think it's something he probably wants to do because he seems quite grateful for the fact that, you know, they gave him a start. No, I understand. What you, that is, you know, they, yeah, CZW, it's never something I got into myself because the majority I've heard it was just kind of garbage, hardcore wrestling. And, you know, it's not, I'm never I'm never the biggest fan of it. I understand that probably they've got some technical wrestlers in there. But for me, it always sounded like they, they took it one step too far in regards to the hardcore stuff. To be completely fair, those shows are a complete mixed bag, right? And if you're into uh, bloodmark stuff like I used to be, it's the best place for it other than Big Japan. Uh, now that FMW isn't what it once was, but like if you're into that kind of stuff, you're going to see some 
decent matches interspersed with some real fucking gory spots. Like, I remember watching Abdullah Kobayashi at Tournament of Death 9, I believe it was, and they had to take a spike pad out of his skull, and they showed this after the match, him back with a medic. It was one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. That was probably the line even for me, but like, it's not completely without merit as a product, to be fair to it. I mean, it's, it's got some, you know, it's got some merit to people who enjoy that sort of thing. It was never my my cup of tea. I don't mind the occasional hardcore match, you know, if it's done well. Uh, blood and wrestling for me, I'm never a bit. I, it doesn't bother me, uh, but I don't want to see it just chucked in there for the sake of chucking it in there. It did almost seem that when you're getting towards the tail end of the Attitude Era, it was just let's have blood for blood's sake. I always feel that if you're going to have blood in a match, it needs to. Uh, elevate the story that you know it's taken this guy getting cut open to defeat him, or it's you know the blood improves the story, it adds to it, it doesn't, it's not just there because it's there. Yeah, I have quite a low kind of tolerance for hardcore matches, death matches, blood in matches. I can kind of take one every couple of months and then I'm good. Um, I, I don't kind of like CZW for that reason and we went to like a a show that was for Jimmy Havoc that was pretty much all kind of really barbaric stipulations like thumbtacks on kick pads and stuff and I could have done with like one of those matches and then the rest of the night being normal wrestling matches a, a night full of those matches was just far too much and that's when I realised I had quite a low tolerance for for those matches, I think I'm kind of similar to you, James. Like, if it's progressing a storyline and then adds something to it, but just for the sake of it, I don't really see the point. I think, I think what you need to remember, though, as well, is that a lot of this comes down to what you what you consumed as a kid. So I watched an awful lot of ACW wherever it was available for me to get my hands on it. I was more than willing to watch it. So that means I've seen stuff like the Taipei Deathmatch, uh, Axel and Ian Rotten. I'm presuming neither of you have seen that. Would I be right in thinking that? You would indeed. Yes. So the Taipei Deathmatch, for those uninitiated, the, the gimmick of this was Axel and Ian Rotten were the bad breed. They were splitting up. They had some bad blood in amongst it. So they decided to have this match, which is called the Taipei Deathmatch. So you wrap your fingers in tape, you dip the tape in glue, and then the glue is then used to put bits of glass on your fist. And they just slugged at one another for like a solid like 10 minutes like this. It was absolutely brutal. But in talking about adding to a storyline, it did that. And I think that showed me that there was a place for some stuff that you maybe don't necessarily think there is. No, I can understand it. It's one of those weird things um, that... You know, not everyone's going to want blood in a match, but you know, there are people who, who clamor for it, people who want that, people who are always going to go, yeah, let's see more blood. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where you know you have to be safe. You can't just be bleeding left, right, and center because you're going to end up with a head that looks like Abdullah the Butcher, um, <laughs> or Dusty. Dusty, or Dusty. Quite the forehead. Bad. Yeah, no. Uh, well, I mean, Abdullah the Butcher, he had that party trick where you could like rest quarters in his notches. Right on the top of his skull, yeah. Like he used to basically sort of flex the skin, and he would put casino chips and stuff in. Yeah, it was, it was not a pretty sight. Um, but you know, it's it's one of those things. Um, 
you know, it's, it's just I don't I don't know. Just, but I mean, I was going to say real quick. By the way, I wonder how anyone was surprised when it turned out that Abdullah the Butcher had Hepsi. I wonder how anyone could have seen that as a surprise. Yeah, it, it's one of those ones. That guy bled fucking ridiculous amounts. It's never going to be a surprise that he's got some sort of uh, contagious disease based on that. It really wasn't. The guy was not a safe worker. Um, but going on from that, you mentioned kind of Dean Ambrose going to AEW, the elephant in the room that that's going to happen. There is kind of another elephant in the room that despite the revival holding the Raw Tag Team Championships, they still haven't signed a contract extension. Um, do you think that they will, or do you think they're going to hold out, ask for their release, and go to AEW as well? I think money will talk with the two of them. It really depends on whether WWE is willing to put the money and time into them. But I think one of the things that we've learned through the move towards AEW's product, like sort of being a viable option for guys, and there being so many places in the indies that they can now go and make an actual living, is that, yeah, money's important, but it's important to a point you can only spend so much. I think the revival are the kind of guys that if you put a big enough product, a big enough uh, sort of push like and a big enough long-term plan in front of them and you're willing to pay them the money they think they deserve, yeah, they'll probably sign on the dotted line for them again. But I think you're going to struggle to promise them that you're going to use them the way they're like wanting to be used because they promised them that when they brought them up for the main uh, to the main roster from NXT. It's kind of a crapshoot, really. It's it, They could end up neither. I think I'm leaning more towards AEW at this point, though. I know, but is that... I'm starting to wonder at what point we're thinking everyone's going to go to AEW because we ultimately, at the moment, have this kind of rose-tinted view of it that it's going to be what we hope it's going to be and that... Well, we already know it's offering a lot more benefits than most other promotions out there. And it really does seem like it's going to be great. But I wonder how much of us believing it's going to be that great product that we all want and deserve that makes us think that so many people are going to jump ship to it. And I know a lot of people seem to be, but I don't think everyone will. I think the the one thing, it's interesting you bring that up, I think there's a chance the Revival got a ring of honour as well, because I think it'd be a real good fit for them long term, and it's a place that really still respects tag team wrestling as an art form. I think you're right, there's the possibility, and I think there'll be some guys who might want to sign a year contract somewhere else and see how AEW goes before they put all their chips into it, but I mean... You're still talking when you look at the double or nothing lineup. You've got that jizzworthy matchup of the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros. They've got talent to put together a great show already. I think that it will just depend on how those first couple of shows go off, whether we see an exodus of talent to them or not. Yeah, I definitely think there's some people hanging around to see what the first year looks like. Oh, yeah. How the foundations lie. Oh, yeah. I think think it's going to be a wait and see for some of the guys just to go, you know okay, this is doing well, I somewhere I want to be, I'm, I'm going to join you, you know, give Cody a call, and, and he's there. Um, what I was going to say, you've also got, um, I've forgotten his name now, Oh, well, Jericho versus Kenny Omega. I mean, that match is money in of itself as well. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. The um, first pay-per-view was fantastic. And oh, all it was actually- sublime. Oh, it was so, so good. It was just 
that's what I want to watch all the time. And like, if this kicks off and they like kind of have a subscription service, and it's it stays the on the vein of that first pay per view and the quality is that good, I would. I don't know that I would ditch my subscription to the network, but I definitely would take out a subscription to theirs. I mean, we're still talking kind of blue sky picture to some degree at the moment, obviously, because we've only seen the one show, but you're right. Like, we've already seen Omega Jericho at Wrestle Kingdom two years ago, I think it was, Alpha the versus, uh, the Alpha versus the Omega. And it was honestly absolutely amazing. Like, it was one of the best matches that I've watched at New Japan for quite some time and that doesn't go lightly as a statement when you consider what the last three or four Wrestle Kingdom cards have looked like as a whole it was honestly incredible the pair of them worked each other half to death and neither of them looked like you know sometimes you watch a match like that and you see two guys who want desperately to put on a performance and sometimes you watch a match like that you see two guys who look like they desperately want to win that was the latter and it was the most convincing thing I've seen in a while. And that's always good because you want you want it to look like these guys. You wanted to put on a show. Yeah, putting on a performance is good, but in a world based on you know to make getting your fans to suspend their disbelief and making it look like you have those two guys just want to win the match, and almost as if it's a shoot that we don't care that I'm supposed to win, I'm you're supposed to win, I want to win. That is the the mark of a true artist in regards to wrestling is making us truly believe that we truly un, truly believe that you want to win this match. That's what makes me feel guess you're drawn in, in in the fact that you don't know you don't know who's gonna win. You could you think you know who's gonna win, but you truly do not know when a match is that good. I mean and then you've got what's it, Pack versus Hangman Page. I think that's going to be a very good match as well. Um, they've got—I mean, I don't know if it's stacked yet, but they've got definitely got a card that's worthy of anyone's money. Um, and you know, hopefully, off the back of that, they're going to get more guys. There were rumors. I don't think it will happen, but there was this whole thing that do you reckon Goldust will join his brother? Maybe have in a backstage role. Maybe have a couple of appearances. But do you think you're going to have Goldust with Cody and have the Runnels brothers running the show? I mean, God knows he deserves it, really. I, I don't know whether he'd wrestle or not. I can see him more in a backstage role. I think he's getting to that point in his career. And I think he'd be great backstage, to be honest. Um, and I can't see why Cody wouldn't want to take him on. Um, it would be nice to see whether it'll happen or not. I don't know. Do we know how long's left on his contract or anything like that? I think it's one of those things where Goldust is probably waiting for that Hall of Fame induction, which he he thoroughly deserves. Um, uh, So I reckon if he goes to AEW before he goes in the Hall of Fame, he's not going to get in anytime soon. But if he goes to gets in the Hall of Fame, then he's gonna he's probably gonna jump to AEW pretty quickly after that. Yeah. If I'm honest, he spent a lot of time at the company, but I don't necessarily think that being in the WWE's Hall of Fame is the be-all and end-all for a lot of guys. I think the Lou Fez slash the Cauliflower uh, Alley one seems to be a bigger deal to a lot of the guys of his generation. Like, what you have to remember as well is that when it comes to Dustin, he's not a pure WWE talent. Yeah, we associate him with it, and yeah, he spent a lot of his career there. He's also spent a lot of his career elsewhere. He went to WCW, he went to TNA. I think he's just more concerned about being recognised for his wrestling legacy as a whole than he is for 
gold dust in particular. So, like, I think you could well see him in a backstage role in the next couple of years. I think that he's nearly 50. He's had multiple knee surgeries. He's probably transitioning to being a worker at this point. We're not seeing him much anymore, if at all. We see him very rarely as a sort of, oh, here you go, gold dust still around. Like, I think long term, he's probably going to want to move into the kind of role that his dad used to do. So I think, yeah, you could well see him go AEW. But the question again then is, are WWE going to put a big enough offer on the table for him at that point that he's going to stay there and maybe be, for example, a road agent? I mean, I know they're going to be looking for someone to replace Arn Anderson pretty soon. And yep. if he goes to AEW, that'll be a big hit to them. Oh, no, definitely. Um, Speaking of the Hall of Fame, because we mentioned it in Goldust, we've got the first two announcements in that all of D-Generation X are being inducted at the same time, um, which is kind of strange given the fact that um, Billy Gunn is now in AEW as a trainer, so that's going to be an interesting induction. And it is also a way to get China into the Hall of Fame without inducting her individually. And we've also got the Honky Tonk Man going in as well. So what are your guys' opinions on the current what the, the two that have been announced so far? Well, James, you've read my mind. I was going to segue into that after having heard the Hall of Fame mentioned because I've seen a lot of stuff online kind of going both ways on the whole having China inducted thing. Personally, I'm glad to see her go in, but I'm also kind of annoyed that she's not going in in and of her own right. Um, I know she's got, she had a lot of history that some people maybe don't like but she still was an amazing talent. You can't deny the mark she left on the women's history of wrestling. Um, I think it's a decent choice, but personally I would have liked to have seen her go in on her own volition. So that's the thing, right? I will agree with you on the day that Sean Waltman goes in himself if she's not in. I kind of can't necessarily slight them for refusing to put both in because they were both involved in all of the fallout and like sort of the issues, and they had very similar issues. The pair of them are going in together as part of DX, right? If, blah, 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 dub, dub, uh, if the pair of them are allowed to remain in there either like sort of together as that unit. Or, or rather, if the if one of them goes in separately, you can't argue that anymore, and the other has to go in. They were both involved in the one night in China tape, the infamous incident. That's pretty much a large part of the reason why the business didn't want to touch her. Like until such time as he's in and all and uh, as an independent entity, I completely get it. Although X Pac for the Hall of Fame, like, is just a sentence that. My brain cannot comprehend why anyone would call for that's nostalgia over actual memory. Oh yeah, I mean I can understand the Degeneration X going in as an entity because you know they were the staple of the Attitude Era. Um, you know for the longest time it was DX in there, and you had the Road Dog and Billy Gunn. Um, like I said, I, I find it interesting that. They're inducting Billy Gunn as part of DX when he's in AEW. It's very strange to me. I, I, yeah, it is a little weird that they're going to take him in, but I think what you need to remember about that as well is he's Hunter's mate. At the end of the day, anybody who's mates with Trips will generally speaking get 
a bit more leeway and a bit more slack than anyone else would. And I think that's a large part of why he's going and is part of that group, even though he's involved elsewhere right now with the enemy. Because at the end of the day, are you going to tell your CEO, no, you can't induct your pals? Like, that's it's just true. not, it's not going to happen. As for Honky Tonk Man, now this is one that's difficult for me because as a human being, arsehole. As a worker, you can't really slate his legacy as the longest reigning Intercontinental champ to a point. I don't think he has any more right enough, is he? But no, he like still he... is. He's got, I don't think in terms of uh, all-around longest reign, no, I don't think he has, still has that, but I think he still has single the continuous. Long... Yeah, I think he's got the single continuous reign. I think that's still a record held by the Honky Tonk Man. And a lot of people were really into him. Like it, it's it's difficult because like when you try and transplant stuff out of its era, it's difficult to work out sometimes why it was popular. That gimmick was absolute gold to the people at the time. Whether you personally like him and his working style or not, it's hard to argue that he didn't leave an impact and he wasn't big enough that he deserves it. I mean that's kind of it though. Like it, 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 it's real hard to argue about what like the sort of what the what the sort of standard for the Hall of Fame should be. I mean, Hogan's in there and I think he's a dog shit wrestler and was his entire career, but it's undeniable again that he was a huge gimmick. Oh yeah, definitely. Um just on the back of DX going in, it made me realise that this leaves it open for both Ric Flair and Triple H to be three time Hall of Fame inductees. Yeah, I almost feel like he wanted to he wanted to give Ric Flair some company up in that group at this point. Like, well, Trips I, isn't in there on his own right now, is he? No, but he will be. There's, yeah. there's no denying that when it eventually comes to the point when he stops being sort of a relatively active worker, he's going to be first ballot. They're going to put him straight in. And some people will argue with you, he shouldn't go in. I don't know. I've always liked Triple H as a worker as well as, as a human being, to be honest, for the most yeah. part. But like, I genuinely think he will probably deserve to go in and he'll go in straight away at that stage. I think the only reason that Triple H isn't in there in and of his own right is because he still actively works for the company enough that they can't justify putting him in. Ah, that's true. Um, I was going to say, in that instance then, right, so Triple H goes in on his own right after DX, that means that him and Rick are two-time Hall of Fame inductees. In order for them to be three-time Hall of Fame inductees, you'd have to then induct Evolution as an entity, do you think the evolution are deserving of a Hall of Fame entry? I mean, I... I think we both had to think too long there that maybe that's the question <laughs> answered. I think it would come down to who's in the Hall of Fame at the point where you're inducting them. I think there's a lot of groups that I would maybe put ahead of them in terms of being inducted. Like, I will stand on my two feet and shout it for the fucking rooftops that I believe that the Nation of Domination deserve a group entry. And a lot of people might argue with me on that, a lot of people might not agree with me on that, but I think the Nation of Domination deserves to be in and should go in long before you start looking at putting evolution in. Like, it really is a question of what's available because we're in this kind of funny territory with the Hall of Fame now where you're getting into the numbers where they're going to start putting guys in who are maybe a bit more borderline and guys who you don't know that would necessarily have went in had they not put the myriad of people like... I mean, we're getting to the stage where, at least with dead guys, for want of a less callous way of putting it, 
that there's not many of them that you can look at and go, why is he not in the Hall of Fame? He should be. Bulldog like a, and Owen. Yeah, no, I, I, I still... Every year around this time, I get back up in my soapbox and I lobby that Owen Hart should be in the Hall of Fame, and I, I stand by that entirely. But how but when many his times... wife stops, when his wife stops being a cunt, then maybe he'll get put in. Potentially, but if we look at a couple of years ago, right, and we go back to let's say go five years back, you could pick out a handful of guys who are past who should have been in. Like now that Macho Man's in, like we're getting into that territory where who's left that has been overlooked. So, like, I think you're going to see more groups like Evolution and things that we maybe don't consider as noteworthy because we look at a lot of the older ones where nostalgia glasses on because they were the ones that were around when we were kids. People are going to have that. A whole new generation is going to get that coming forward. No, I agree. Um, I think... Uh, do you think there is ever... I mean, I mean ever, like, uh, ever, uh, even the slightest possibility... That Chris Benoit ever goes in. I I think that there would be too much reconciliation work that would have to be done with sponsors and a lot of people who are involved in that company. And while obviously we know now through Nowinski's foundation and stuff, like what kind of state his brain was in towards mm-hmm. the end, and we know that it's a lot more complex a situation than people want to make it out. It's still really uncomfortable even for me and I can realise that. I don't know that it would be worth putting them in. Um, I Did we... So I have a memory that we kind of spoke about this before and I'm wondering, was it when we used to do Defend Indefensible? Possibly, yeah. And, it was and it was me who had to talk about why he should go in. Uh-huh. And I, I kind of remember that and I kind of... Here's the thing. The guy did a terrible thing Yes, and and you have to weigh that up against putting them in, which when you put somebody in the Hall of Fame, you're kind of acknowledging that they're kind of a role model in a way as well and stuff, and, and it leaves them open to a new generation of who look into their history. I mean, he's still been kind of completely wiped with regards to like search function and match um, splicing on the network. So, I mean, while we're still at that point, I don't think WWE are going to put him in. If you're not even willing to make him a searchable person on your website, you're not going to put him in your Hall of Fame. But I think it's really difficult because we do now know a lot more about the serious issues he had off the back of what he did as a ref. And and that's really difficult to come to terms with because... He clearly wasn't in his right mind due to serious, you know, repetitive injuries to the brain. Doing something for the fans, giving the it's hard to say when any wrestler puts their body on the, their line, they're doing it for the fans. And so I think that just, it's got so much grey around it, that question of whether he'll ever go in or whether he should go in. Mm. Um, but if it's, is WWE going to put him in? I don't think so. No, like, I, I, I was um, gonna say, um, just watching you. Know, you watch, you watch Chris Benoit matches, and you, there's no doubt about it. The guy is one of the finest technical wrestlers that's ever laced up a pair of boots, and then he goes and does a diving headbutt completely unprotected from the top rope, and you're going, you, you, you don't need to do that. I mean, looking back with hindsight, there was no need for him to do that. He could have got by 
purely on his technical skill alone, but he felt the need to do that for the fans. The, the, um, I mean, that was like a harkening back to Dynamite Kid when Dynamite used to do it. And it's just, I, I don't know. You know, Had he not done those diving headbutts, would he have been doing other stuff that would have resulted in him getting repeated concussions? It's just one of those things that you, you don't know what, you know, what, what could have happened had he changed his mind? Had you know? Had he had some of those concussions diagnosed? Because it was back in the time when you know concussions weren't wildly um, diagnosed; they weren't looked into as much. And it's one of those things where now, the moment somebody gets a stinger and is even the slightest chance of being concussed, they're off until it's they're off until the doctor says they're cleared. And that and that was a, a, ter- a crying shame because. You know, had Chris Benoit been diagnosed and had gotten the help for the concussions that he needed and that we know he now needed, we might never have been in the situation that we're in right now. And yeah, it's it's really easy to say it, but there's an expression in Scotland, and that's if your ma had boys, should be your da. You know, it's it, it's easy to look at hypotheticals and consider what could have been, but the reality is that what we have to do when we're having this discussion is look at the reality of things and look at where we're at. And honestly, if you have to ask this many should questions, the answer is you shouldn't. It's really that simple. If there's that much that you have to rectify about it, to justify about it, it's probably better to err on the side of caution and not do it. And like, it's difficult because like, we now are in a position where, for example, Harley Race, the inventor of the diving headbutt, is in the Hall of Fame. And it's difficult to then argue that someone who put themselves in that position with that kind of moveset shouldn't be in. But at the same time, they probably shouldn't. Like It's a straight sort of up and down, knowing what we know now and knowing the impact that that kind of stuff has on people and knowing what we know now about concussions. And just to be clear, we knew a lot of that in the 90s, but the NFL resisted on it and everyone else followed suit. Like We've known since around the time when Benoit was taking a lot of these what kind of impact they had, but a lot of people refused to accept it. And it took incidents like what happened with Chris Benoit and like the suicides of multiple sports people for us to stop, go hang on, CTE as a thing and acknowledge it. But like, if you have to have this much a debate around whether someone should go in or not, it's pretty clear they probably shouldn't. No, I agree. Uh, I agree with them kind of Hall of Fame stuff, but I think see instead of burying them uh, the, the way the WWE kind of do, they don't want to mention them or talk about them or, you know, anything like that, I think you should be using his case study to bring more attention to it. You should be using him as a teachable moment as to why we no longer do these things and why we need to have such strict protocols in place now. You shouldn't be trying to hide it. You should be using it for good and while i completely agree with you from a business perspective when you look at that that would be them acknowledging that they played a very big part in what happened and that would be for a business at the very least a complete suicide i can understand why they handle it the way they do i may not agree with it. i may not think it's right but i can understand the logic behind what they no i, I get where you're coming from but I mean, it's not a Scottish phrase, but it is a phrase I think that's apropos in the moment. It's that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I think if we don't learn from you know the, the impact that what Chris Benoit did, 
then we're going to be doomed to carry on the following, carry on doing this. And I think luckily we are slowly learning in terms of the wrestling industry that, you know, the things that Chris Benoit did were not conducive to a good working environment. He was not in the best of shape. Yeah. In terms of the best of health mentally. And, you know, it, it did drive him to do the things that he did and unspeakable, but unspeakable as they were, it's not some. It's something that we can now understand that his brain was not in the right position because of the things that he did as a professional wrestler, and we have to learn from that. We have to, like Claire said, use Chris Benoit as a teaching material, as to say, look, this is what this man did. This is what could happen if you do not learn to not do this. This is not a position that you want to put yourself in because you're going to end up like Chris Benoit. If you end up like Chris Benoit, you're going to be a persona non grata for the rest of your life. And like Bohan said. We might not agree with it, but we can understand why they're doing it. But you need to be able to learn from Chris Benoit's mistakes. I'd say, though, your better example here in this context is Daniel Bryan. Honestly, like we can talk about Chris Benoit to the cows come home and what happened and what impacted it and stuff. But there's a much better and much easier to lead with example in Daniel Bryan. And that's a man who used to work a style that was very dangerous for him, felt the health effects of it. And has came back and has altered his style enough that it's still the same, but it's much, much safer. That's a better way to lead that message out than to go look at the guy who was involved in a double murder-suicide at the end of the day. No, I can understand where you're coming from there. And it is... Uh, it is what it is, and I think um, I think we've kind of got we've kind of treaded old ground here. So I think we'll move on. Um, but it reminded me because I mentioned him. Um, given the fact that we did have the the sad passing of Dynamite Kid, do you reckon at some point we might see either the British Bulldogs get inducted together, or Dynamite get inducted by himself, or you know Bulldog get inducted by himself? Personally, I think it's more likely we're going to have the British Bulldogs as a tag team get inducted. But at some point, I think both of those deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't, I don't know that Tom Billington's family are going to allow him to be inducted, if I'm completely honest, like based on where his health conditions were at and stuff. I also don't necessarily know about inducting the Bulldogs as a team. I think part of the it comes down to, again, when you induct someone into this, you have to look at them for their whole career body of work, but you also have to look at them as a person. And Dynamite Kid was a renowned arsehole. I think that there won't be many people lobbying for his inclusion. Nothing, because I know I was sort of, rumors are around, kind of surrounded that they offered to put him in the Hall of Fame, but apparently he didn't want to be inducted because he didn't want to see the fans um, in the state that he was in, you know, a few years ago. So, you know, it's one of those things that we, that was just rumors that were kind of circling during Hall of Fame time as they always do. So whether or not there are any truth to that, I have no idea. Personally, you know, watching the Bulldogs, they had a, a nice, they had an interesting style and whether or not they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame is up for debate. And that's, you know, for people who are more qualified than us to discuss. Um, but it, it would be interesting. And it, I think, I think, I think Daisy Boy, Deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. I think he was one of the most underutilized British wrestlers and deserved the big belt. And then he, the big moment he got in SummerSlam '92, kind of was the 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 apex of his career. Uh, and it is a shame that he didn't go on to get the big belt. In my opinion. I mean, sorry, I muted and unmuted myself. I don't disagree with you that. Davy Boy was quite the worker, but I think, again, you have to look at 
the whole package around him and when you hear the stories about SummerSlam and Brett having to come in and walk him through that match by hand because he'd been away with Jim the Anvil Neidhart banging crack rocks for about a week like as nice as it would have been to see him get that opportunity sometimes you've got to get your head on straight before it can get handed to you and he was in no position that you would have put your big belt on him and made him the face of the company when he was in that state the same goes for guys like Hawk from uh, Legion of Doom and stuff like that. It doesn't matter how great a talent you are. There comes a, a Razor Ramon. The, uh, like when you look at Razor Ramon as well, like part of the problem, part of the reason why Scott Hall was never given the big belt while he was there, was his general problems outside of the ring, and that is just as big a factor as how you perform. Because when you put someone at the front of that company and you put that big belt on them, you're going, "Hello, world." Here is my face. Here is my appointed representative. Please enjoy. And if that person's not someone who can be relied upon to keep themselves straight for enough, like sort of of a length of time, it's not ever going to happen. And I think that's one of the key differences between WCW and the NWA and the WWE because they've always seemed to have a grasp of that. No, and I think, like you said, you you need to have people who are going to be. Um, at least not role models, at least maybe not role models, because you know you have heel champions being the face of the company, but at least people who outside of the ring can be seen to be people who can you know keep themselves straight and clean, and you know aren't gonna bring the company into disrepute because of the fact that they're employees of that company and what they do reflects on them. So yeah, I can get where you're coming from there. Um, kind of going on the back and coming into kind of modern day. Um, what are your guys' uh, opinions on Kofi's kind of push that he's getting right now? The, the the fact that he's ridiculously over by himself as part of the New Day and kind of how that almost came out of nowhere where he won the gauntlet match, went to Elimination Chamber and in that Elimination Chamber match became the most over guy I think I've heard in a long time. Yay! It was long overdue, in my opinion. He's a great worker. I'm so... It has kind of came... Like... It's not came out of the blue because he's a fantastic worker and I think he's deserved it for a really long time. But in WWE storyline, yes, it has kind of came out of the blue. Um, <clears throat> but I'm really happy to see it. The match um, they had at Elimination Chamber was fabulous. The, I, I could have just watched the two of them. Just I, I didn't need anyone else in that match. Just, just Kofi and Daniel Bryan would have been... I mean, that whole thing was fantastic, and I'm really, really glad he's got it, because I think he thoroughly deserves it. I think when you look at Kofi Kingston and his body of work, it's easy to point out the bad spots, but what's harder for a lot of people to do in retrospect, because like a lot of your... Like, I don't want to say casual, because I feel like casual is the wrong word here, but a lot of your less hardcore fans, to some degree haven't noticed a lot of Kofi's development over the years. He's been there since, what, like 2007, 2008? And they introduced um, him with a horrible Jamaican gimmick. Oh, God, that like, accent was terrible. Oh, yeah, but like... Dark times. But you can look back at that and you can look at his early matches and you can see how much he... He, he was always quite athletic and he always had a touch of like the sort of John Morrison-esque I can fly and do stuff that you've not really seen before. Like the proto-ricochet, if you will, but like He's always been talented. He's always had the ability to work. It's just gotten better and better over the years. There was a point around probably maybe 2011, 2012, where there was a window where they could have used him like that, and they didn't. 
it's good to see that the opportunity has came back around for him. I'd also like to point out that all of the best storylines in wrestling seem to come from necessity rather than planning. Because this is another example, because wasn't it meant to be Mustafa Ali that was in the Elimination Chamber? And yes. people just kind of went, well, uh, they, why not Zoidberg them? You know, it was why not Kofi? Put Kofi in and everyone was very happy about the fact. Like, it just goes to show that there's a bigger audience out there for guys that creative sometimes overlook just because they don't see what the fans see. All you need to do to see that is to take a chance on just putting people in positions that you maybe don't necessarily believe they belong in. No, it is interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Kofi. Obviously, he's been taken out of the the fast lane match and been replaced by Kevin Owens. Um, whether or not he gets back into that match, or whether they hold off and give Kofi Kingston like his WrestleMania moment and he knocks off Daniel Bryan, I'd like to see the latter personally rather than more triple threat matches because. You know, it would give Kofi a chance to shine on his own and show, you know, show him and Dan- those two can work fantastically together. It'd be a brilliant match. Um, you mentioned Proto Ricochet, um, which kind of segues nicely into the fact that we've just seen uh, NXT caught uh, Raw and Raw and SmackDown have called up um, Champa, Gargano, Ricochet, and Alistair Black. Um, out of those four guys, who do you think is going to be the most, and then again the least successful after getting the, the main roster call-ups? That's such that's such a difficult question, isn't it? Because you ha- I always feel like these questions come in two parts. It's what do I want to see happen, and what do, what what do I really believe should happen, and what are WWE going to do? I think out of all of those, and Bohan probably is going to disagree with me here, but my favorites are Ricochet and Alistair Black, and I'd love 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 to see them do really well and to come out on top of that group of four um, with regards to how they're used. But here's the the two problems with them. Ricochet doesn't really wrestle a WWE style and we're not quite out of this whole wrestling a WWE style thing yet. We're kind of starting to move a little bit, um, but we're not quite there. So then is he going to get used well because he's not quite wrestling how they want their wrestlers to wrestle? And Alistair Black's gimmick might, we, we know sometimes on the main roster, those kind of odd gimmicks don't really always work well. But I think you've got such a good history and storyline with uh, Gargano and Champa that that's kind of ready-made to just transfer onto the main roster. And that will, I think, probably be what prevails out of the four guys that come up. Do you know what would be interesting, Claire? Sorry, I was going to say, you said, I said, um, Alistair's gimmick. What about, and I don't know if it will happen because, you know, he's getting a bit past it, Alistair Black versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Well, he's officially retired, so we're probably never going to see that. Ah, Maybe he can come out for a time. But that last match, Alistair Black versus Undertaker WrestleMania, that's the Undertaker's last match of his career. It'd be a great match, but yeah. he has now said he's done with performing. He's now taking bookings for like sort of autograph appearances and stuff. He's onto the Twilight Circuit at this point. Now you said I was going to disagree with you. I am, but not in the way you thought of it. I mean, I love all four. I have a soft spot deep down in the cockles for all four <laughs> of them. But like when it comes to like how this is going to play out, you said obviously Champa and Gargano is like a ready-made feud. 
look at what happened to the last one of those they had with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. That doesn't it coming up as a ready-made storyline that they've built even doesn't necessarily mean they're going to use it well. Creative on the main roster often has very different ideas to what they do down in Florida. But like in terms of who's going to perform best and who's going to perform worst. I feel like best is probably going to be Alistair Black. It's probably going to be Tommy End because now that you're taking The Undertaker out of the equation entirely, there's no one like that. You already know how to work a gimmick like that. There's no reason you can't work a gimmick like that. I see no reason he can't be successful. He'll probably end up crossing paths with Bray Wyatt at some stage, I reckon. Like It's going to be a case of they'll build that spooky gimmick. It'll work out well. But if they portray him as what he is, which is legitimately potentially the hardest man I have ever seen in my goddamn life. Yeah, I said it, Minoru Suzuki, like, doesn't even... I, and this is nuts to me, but, like, I reckon if you put Minoru Suzuki and Tommy End, uh, Alistair Black, in a shoot fight, I, I, I don't think Suzuki's going to come out on top. And it's one of those rare occasions in life where I can genuinely say that. I think there's a lot of potential for him to be used well. I think they're not going to have a clue what to do with Ricochet. And I think DIY going up there could go either way. It's well, really the, down to that. Well, from reading, kind of, I, don't, I don't always watch Raw and SmackDown as often as I should, um, but from reading the results, it does look as if they've kind of almost forgotten that they had an NXT feud because they're, tag- they're putting them together as a tag team already. I mean, they did already come out at the end of TakeOver, raise their belts together and acknowledge that they were friends again. Like, I mean, we're kind of at that stage anyway it's the next logical step when they when they come up that they're going to be used together i'd probably rather see heel diy at this stage because that would be the thing we've not seen yet but like honestly if they want to work the two of them together of course the crowd are going to cheer for them the crowd fucking love the pair of them even if you try and present them as heels you're very much going to get a very specific reaction Kind of like Undisputed Era. It really doesn't matter with some groups and some guys how you try and present them. The crowd are always going to react in a particular way and some people are going to take away that that makes someone a face because the line is so blurred these days. I don't think it necessarily means they're faces. I think they're just part of a new generation where the concept of healing faces are much more difficult and nuanced thing to try and define. I mean, we've had cool bad guys for years. The NWO started that trend. But like, oh, yeah. when it comes to the other two, I just I I, I have this very strong impression that Ricochet is going to end up lost in there and shoved to two hundred five live at some point. That's how I see it going for him. And that's going to yeah. be an absolute uh, criminal uh, shame if you know, if that happens because he he deserves main roster uh, status. Um, I was going to say obviously, um, now we've got you know Vince has never been much of a fan of of factions. And right now, you kind of only really got the New Day as the the, the three man group. Um, Sanity are around somewhere, um, but do you think uh, there will be a spot for uh, Undisputed Era led by the one and only Adam Cole, baby? I think you can. Yeah, <clears throat> as much as see Vince, oh, I can't wait to get rid of Vince. Ruins everything. But I don't think it really matters that he doesn't like them. To use them correctly, at least to begin with, I think you have to use them together. And so I think your only real option is to bring them all up together and use them together. They're kind of a package deal. 
And I think all the guys in there can work very well on their own. But the dynamic that they have is just so good. And I think it's what the crowd expects. And I think it's what we all deserve. Uh, what you need to sort of look at with this situation as well is the marketplace now is radically different to what it was a year ago. We've got uh, Ring of Honor getting consistently better, running bigger shows, running bigger venues, able to build off the back of New Japan lending them talent and stuff like that. We've got, like, you know, AEW, which is going to look, like, which is starting to look like a viable alternative, all being well financially in the long term for them. There are places where those guys can go and they're going to be appreciated and used as a group. So I don't think it's a question of do they know how to, it's that they're going to have to figure it out because I don't think they want to lose the merchandising revenue that's going to come along with those boys. If someone knows how to use them, they won't. I think if if Trips can get, a, you know, he's, he's running NXT, um, him and Sean actually are running NXT, if they can get the ear of Vince and, you know, give them some advice and, you know, this is how we, you should use these guys, this is the best way to market these guys, this is the way you're going to get the most money from the fans for these guys. If they can get Vince's ear and you know persuade him to use a um, use undisputed error in the way that they need to be used in order to get you know the where we want them to be, you know, you know they said it was their goal in NXT to win all the gold this year. You know maybe if that happens, you know if it doesn't happen, it could be a goal if they're on the main roster. You know, you know you get you get you get um, Kyler Riley and um, Bobby Fish. Holding the tag team gold, you've got um, oh fuck, I've forgotten his name. Not Adam Cole, baby, but um, Roderick Strong. You get Roderick Strong on a mid card. Adam Cole with uh, you know, one of the big belts. You could have that. That would be you know a heel faction holding all of the titles, either on Raw or on SmackDown. And though then you've got ready-made feuds for the baby faces to try and knock off the the faction. I think long term though, there's one thing wrong with that, and it's that. Honestly, if there's anything I've noticed at NXT, it's that in terms of tag teams, it's been kind of malleable which to have defended the belts, right? I think your best combination here is Adam Cole looking at the bigger belt. It's probably Kyle O'Reilly looking at your intermediary, like your Intercontinental or your US Championship, and then Bobby Fish and uh, Roderick Strong working as a team because I feel like that's the best of all available situations because honestly, Kyle O'Reilly is hands down one of the most talented technical wrestlers that again has ever put a pair of boots on. The boy has such skills, such amazing transition ability. He is a workhorse of a man. There is no reason why in five years' time, if you've still got Kyle O'Reilly, he's not challenging for whatever big belt you've got. So long term, I think he's better placed in the mid card. But other than that, I completely agree with the sentiment. Would you not want to see, you know, Red Dragon have, you know, just a run as tag champs, you know, and then have it on a free bird basis almost? So you have, you know, Red Dragon, you know, winning the belts initially and then having free bird rule uh, within Undisputed Era. Yes and no, because Kyle O'Reilly has been waiting for the opportunity to be a main event star for years. He's good enough that he deserves it. Don't get me wrong, you know I love Red Dragon, you know I'm a big Ring of Honor mark, and there's a lot of things that they've built that I really appreciate. They, they, they quite often send a lot of my favourite toys over to NXT, and then I get to watch them on a weekly basis and at takeovers, so like, 
I'm very grateful for what is effectively NXT's form system right now, but like at the same time, I think that Kyle O'Reilly's at a point in his career where he's entering his kind of prime years. You want to get him in a position where you're going to get the most out of him for those, and that is by putting him into a secondary belt as soon as you can and building him for what he is. The skill set's there. You just need to build the audience reaction. No, that's cool. No, I get where you're coming from. It's, 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 it, I do like Kyle O'Reilly. I like you know the technical ability the guy has. So it would be interesting to see what happens from you know going up from that. Um, speaking in front of NXT, we neither of us, none of us have really kind of touched on what we think of NXT UK. It's not really come up much in the conversation. Obviously, you have got Pete Dunne is the champion, and I can't see him losing the belt anytime soon. I love that man. Um, I love Pete Dunne. He's a lovely guy to talk to. Um, just seems to be a solid guy and what a, a fantastic wrestler. Um, Mustache Mountain and are, are doing well down there, and you've got some really good talent in NXT UK. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see. You know, people they've got more guys coming in um, to NXT UK. Uh, Kaylee Ray's been officially signed to NXT UK, as has Alpha Female Jazzy Gabert. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where they fit in the women's division. So, um, well, actually, going off of that, what do you think of Kaylee Ray signing for NXT UK? Vapor has also signed. Has she? Which I'm more so excited fair. about. Um, I, I, I don't know. I can't, there's something about Kaylee Ray that I'm just... I don't. I think she's a good worker. I just don't... I don't really connect with her. Whereas Viper, I absolutely love, and I think I've spoke about my love for Viper before. I'd nauseam on this podcast. Um, we've been bad NXT UK fans, and we haven't watched an awful lot of it yet. Of what I've seen of it so far, it's been very, very good. I think really high quality going on. Love Pete Dunne. Think he's a fantastic worker. Finger manipulation not really a strong suit with me, kind of gets me in the stomach, gives me a little bit of the bulk so I kind of have to turn away and hold my ears when that goes on but apart from that, love what he does um, and I've always loved Mustache Mountain, I think the two of them together are just fantastic, they make a great tag team um, so it is something we really need to get back into watching because of what I've seen it deserves our attention um, but I think the signings they've got coming in is interesting. I also think it's really interesting just in general that they've set up this kind of UK division. I'm wondering if they're going to be doing this in kind of other areas as kind of feeders for NXT or for the main product. Honestly, like, as she said, we've not watched a great deal. I've enjoyed what I've watched quite a lot. I have problems with Zach Gibson stemming back to a show we saw him at ICW. Now, I've since gone on to learn that the certain word that I'm not going to repeat because I think it's a horrible and loathsome word that he used in the ring at that show can mean a lazy person in Liverpool. It's a certain homophobic slur, right? That's as far as I'm going to go to explain. But, like, I've learned that in context in Liverpool, it's not really always used as a homophobic slur. But we've had a discussion at length about how you have to be conscious in that kind of environment that whether you use a word in a particular way or not doesn't mean that that's it's kind of conveyed universal meaning. So it does kind of, I struggle with watching 
some of their shows and seeing that he's on them because I'm just not it was a horrible experience that put me massively off him and I never wanted to see him in a ring again and he keeps getting big pushes lately like it's difficult for me it's difficult for me as well seeing Trevor Lee on that subject coming up to NXT given all the stuff that's been unearthed that he said but like I suppose I'm one of these people that really struggles to separate the whole art from artist thing I don't understand like how people are able to how people are able to do it and how people get on with like sort of just uh ignoring the fact that people have said these god-awful loathsome things but like other than that the roster seems great they seem to have a good grasp of what makes british wrestling the product that it is they seem to have guys in there who are working who just understand it but i mean when you see that johnny saints heavily involved in the running everything it becomes very clear that they wanted to do this properly they wanted this to feel like an actual UK show. It's what World of Sport should have been, arguably yep. in a lot of respects, but like, I, I, it's been a great product. There's a lot of great talent on it. I feel like there's places for them to go. I feel like it's nice that they've found something to do with Noam Dar rather than leaving him stuck in 205 Live without anything of a clue of to what to do with the boy. I feel like if they use him a bit more in NXT UK, they might see what we saw in him and go, oh, okay, right now we we done wrong. We can bring him up to somewhere here and we can use him effectively. It's just, it, it's, a, it's always good to have more places for people to go and more stable employment. And anyone who's willing to put Viper in there, if they're willing to give her the push that I so thoroughly believe she deserves, can shut up and take all of my money. No, that'd be good. Do you reckon there's a? Do you think there's a spot for uh, a certain guy from the top end of Stevenson? I want to say yes. If you're gonna run this like a UK show, there is. But the question is, if there's a space for him in NXT UK, does that still mean that there's a space for him going forward on the big roster? And I feel like the answer to that's no, because we've moved away from the era of. Guys like Santino Morella, who are there for pretty much comic relief. I, I love Grado. I love Grado a lot. I think that there's a good place for him. And I think that if the WWE could just get their head around it, because I don't think they quite understand it, they would see the value in that long-term to most audiences. I just don't know that they're ever going to see that. Which is a shame, because I love I, Grado. Well, here, I think, here's what his downfall is, right? We all love him, right? I mean, look at, like, I mean, Scotland as a whole, whether you love him as a wrestler or you love him, like, on the telly stuff that he's now getting lots of, <clears throat> it's, we all love him, but I think part of the problem is that we all love him because he's Grado and he's very Scottish and he's very out there and we have a laugh at that. We have a laugh with him, we have a laugh at him. He knows how to kind of play that, but in a way, that's kind of his downfall is that he's too localised, even slightly to Scotland. Like, he gets over in kind of the UK as a whole, but I think he then kind of ring-fences himself a little bit by his gimmick being so kind of localised. I mean, as much as I hate to give him credit for anything, TNA have seen him for what he is, and he's done well in the States and Canada and the shows that they've booked him on. And when they've had him on and when they've had him just be Grado, it has worked for them. Like there was a whole gimmick where he needed to find a woman so he could get a visa and a green card and stuff. And then he found out she was Canadian. Like they, they used them very effectively 
and it's not like TNA to use anyone effectively, if they can do it, there's no reason somebody with a decent creative can't. And I don't think that gimmicks it. Like, I think there are elements it, there are facets it that are very localized, but there's something about them that's very universal. There's a charisma, there's a, it's the sort of Dusty Rhodes effect. You can look at them and you can see people you know. Not just us, not just people here. You look at him and he has a charisma that's kind of, it's, it's very down to earth. It's very like sort of relatable to normal folk. There's no reason that's not marketable. I just don't think they see it in them, that's all. Nah, and that is a shame. But I was going to say, um, watching NXT UK, um, I've noticed that they don't stifle one fall like they do in the US shows. I think you couldn't, even if you tried, you couldn't. That's the, the thing is, it's not such a core tenant of US wrestling shows. Some places it's very much the case, and some places are willing to let them do it. But you saw that at UK indie shows long before anyone was really doing it in the States. Like it goes all the way back to like 1PW. It's just a very common thing in the UK. I think if you tried to stifle that, the crowd are just going to do it over the top of you anyway, and it's all you're going to hear. So the best thing you can do here is just allow them to. I don't know why they even bother trying. Like, I don't get what the point and not... All you have to do, it takes what one fall takes, what, maximum two seconds to say? What? Like, I don't understand why you just don't take that beat to let the crowd do it. The crowd likes it. It's a funny moment. Like, I don't get why they try to stifle it at some shows anyway. Because Vince didn't come up with the idea himself. I mean, I don't know if it's so much that or if it's more to do with the fans as well, though, because what you have to consider about the States fans is that, see in the UK, we do one fall and then we start singing like a football crowd. For most matches, we just act the way we act. Like, that's kind of, it's a very localised thing. Again, it's something that's very unique to our culture. In the States, if you allow a crowd to shout a couple of things, they generally turn into fannies. We've seen this. We've watched enough shows where they've turned into fannies and have had no real in... reason to behave like that. Oh, it shows with beach balls in them. What the, I yeah, mean, like, I, that's I mean... kind of it, though. I think for the US, it's more for the purposes of crowd control than anything. Like you said, they just turn into absolute fuds. I mean, look at Cesaro getting pissed off with the beach ball. He went into the crowd and ripped it up, which I thought was a brilliant unscripted moment. But you know, you're showing complete disrespect for the guys who you've paid to see to throw a toss a beach ball around because you're not enjoying the match. There's no need for it. Those guys are trying to put on the best match they can. Just because you're not enjoying it doesn't give you the fucking right to chuck a beach ball around and act like a dick. But that's exactly it. I think in the UK, crowd interaction enhances a show. Here, when we chant, we sing and stuff, it's about what we're watching. It's related to that. It's just humorous for us, but it's always related directly to what's going on in the ring. Even stuff as ridiculous as at the UK takeover, shoes off if you hate Gibson. It was <laughs> mental, but it yeah. worked and it added something to what was going on in the ring. That's what we do. What a US crowd does in that context is start to hijack a show. And I think that it's all about not stifling crowd interaction entirely when it comes to the US crowds, but controlling it in a very measured way, because if you don't set that tone early, they take the piss. Oh, gotcha, you get ridiculous stuff. I mean, I mean, I've, I, luckily I haven't heard one in a long time. 
um, well, not a long time, but a couple, maybe a couple of months, um, I haven't heard a CM Punk chant. You know, that's one thing that, you know, that luckily has, has slowly gone away. It's never going to go away when they go to the Chicago because we know, you know, that's, that's CM's hometown. That that chant's never going to go away when they go to Chicago. That's always going to be the case. Um, you know, he's uh, at the moment he said he's done. Whether or not he decides that he doesn't, he doesn't want to be an announcer for the U for MMA anymore, and decides he's going to release him up again, I don't know. The guy's you know forty, forty one. He he's he. If he says he's done, he might be done. Whether or not he he gets the itch to go back, I don't know. And if he does get the itch to go back, is he going to be able to rebuild the bridges with WWE, or does he go to AEW? I don't. I think. I could see him coming back. I, could, I think you could get a couple more years for, from him. I mean, the guy's still in really good shape. And, <clears throat> you know, I was going to say this earlier, but I didn't jump in with it. I, I was surprised when I found out, when we were talking about all the Kofi stuff, I went and we, we kind of looked him up because we were kind of wondering. He's 38. Okay. I, I was surprised by that. So Punk's not that far ahead of Kofi in age, and, and he still looks after himself really well from what I can tell. So I think he could come back for another couple of years if that's what he decided to do. I would think if he decided to come back, he wouldn't go anywhere near the WWE. I don't think that would even be a thought that crossed his mind. I just don't. I see him going one or two places if he ever does come back. AEW or Ring of Honor. And it's really in there which one it is because he's got very fond memories of Ring of Honor. They looked after him. They gave him his push. They gave him a reason to go to the WWE and be what he was. I think that if there was some kind of sharing agreement could be worked out, he'd probably do both. But like, I I think he's 41, right? Some guys can work into about 50 or so pretty comfortably and still be able to do what they do to a decent degree. I think once you get beyond that point, unless your name's Johnny Saint, you're really going to struggle. Johnny Saint, however, managed to put on great matches in the 60s and 70s, although that owes a lot to that sort of Wigan snake pit style where it's very on the mat, it's very submission-based and very legitimate. Like, the, the catch style very much lends itself to all ages, and it's something that most people can work because it doesn't involve bumping the shit out of yourself. I think that Punk could have maybe another five six years in him i just don't think he's gonna use them honestly i think if he was gonna come back he's got a good friendship with the bucks the bucks have been really nice to him the bucks are trying to convince him to come back if he was gonna do it for anyone he would have done it by now i think he's done with pro wrestling i think he's stubborn he's set his mind that he's done with after that whole experience and i don't think we'll ever see him in a ring again at this point but it is professional wrestling. I suppose you can never say never. That is very true. Um, I think uh, we've kind of covered as many bases as we can. We've kind of gone on here, there, and everywhere tonight. But I think uh, leaving on CM Punk not coming back is a, is a good a place as any. Um, as always, Bohan goes last at the start of the show. And I think he should go last at the, at the end of our shows from now on. So any final thoughts from Bohan? Uh, so final thoughts. Uh, elimination Chamber half the matches were a waste of time because they were redone on Raw the next night what the fuck are you playing at creative what's the point in watching these shows anymore uh, other than that the main events were pretty good there were some real good takeaways from them my final thoughts going into Mania are just please don't fuck it up 
you've built enough uh, pieces, you've got them in place, you're already starting to show tra- uh, cracks by booking shit like Asuka versus Mandy Rose. Let's not do this, lads. Let's have one good year where I've got nothing to gripe about in the show. It man- you managed to do it before. You've done it before at least once. Just do it again. I'm not asking for the earth. I'm asking for a mania that's watchable. And on uh, that note, it's good night from me. Good night from me. And oh dear fuck, please don't ruin mania from me. Thanks for listening to Talking Trash. We'll catch you all again next time.